Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Hello and welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. Uh, Today we are talking about, we're having another higher ed conversation actually, and we're excited to hear about all of the different innovations going on. Um, in higher ed. And by the way, remember, we do uh, clubhouse conversations and we had a great clubhouse conversation um, after our last higher ed conversation. So we'd like to bring that to uh, clubhouse again, this conversation every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern or most Wednesdays when Jerry and I aren't busy with uh, other other things that we have going on. But Jerry, uh, why don't you introduce our guest today? Because I'm really looking forward to Uh, some of this breaking boundaries in this arena here. Absolutely. So we're breaking our own boundaries a little bit because we've always been focused on K-12, but we realize that there is such a marriage between K-12 and higher education. And the more we can communicate with each other and understand each other, the better off our students are going to be. So I was fortunate to meet Janet Gullickson from Germana, college and I met her at a conference and she was so impressive, so articulate, just amazing. And I loved the innovation. She was in a group that of people and she stood out as a leader that was being innovative and moving forward and breaking boundaries. So immediately I text her and say, Janet, we have to get you on our podcast because I want more people to hear about leaders like Janet that are doing amazing things. And one of the things that she'll talk about today is disruptive leadership. So excited to hear her definition and what she's thinking about disruptive leadership. So Janet Gullickson, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. Could you tell us just a little bit about your background, where you are, and then we'll get started with some questions. Absolutely. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when people are are part of this uh, podcast. But thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jerry, for having us. It's it's really a pleasure to talk about Germanic Community College. I want to start talking about that disruptive leadership piece. You know, I have been a college president several times, and uh, I will tell you that it's never been more critical in a career of a college president to be disruptive. And let me tell you what that means. That means that there are no boundaries on our thinking, that we think about equity, that we think about completion, that we think about how we offer our services and our classes in ways that never have been done before. And the reason for that is pretty, pretty self-serving. All of us in higher education had best innovate or we will be left behind. The demographics are not in our favor. The second reason for that is very, very much related to all of our missions, which is to serve communities and society because the workforce of today and tomorrow needs and requires a highly skilled experience in their education. Maybe it's a short-term course, maybe it's a long-term PhD. Regardless, if we don't figure out how to do the workforce training we need to do, we will continue to have employers who are simply screaming at the top of their lungs for people to work with them. The third reason we're doing it is equity. 
if you really, really, really want to serve students who haven't been served well by higher ed before, we must stop how we're doing business. We must stop and do it in new ways. And that means that we have to spend a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of encouragement to help people understand that the way we have served students of color in the past will not allow us to continue uh, to do our jobs as we are expected to do. And so disruption is required, not just from an employer point of view or from a survival of higher ed point of view, from a personal human interest point of view, where we take a critical look at what we're doing and making sure that all students, regardless of their color, their ability, their background, all students are as successful as the other. We were just talking the other day, uh, Jerry, about how it's so easy just to say, well, this is the way we've done things. So we're going to continue that. It's the status quo. It's complacency. It's it's easier that way. How do you break through that? Because what you're, you are saying is so important. And obviously, things need to be disrupted. Things need to change. But how do you move past that, that mentality? Well, I think. I think it's a courage and commitment to mission. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, we submitted a couple NSF grants, a Title III grant, um, and those grants were really focused on helping the student get through STEM, students of color who have not been represented before. Uh, and to be honest, we stepped back at Jumana and we said, why are we doing this? What's the root cause of why students of color aren't succeeding in STEM in high school and college. Is it the student or are we applying all these remedies to help these students when it's the system itself that needs examination? And so that stepping back and pulling yourself out of all how we've always done it, Jamie, is the first step to transformation. Do we really have to do it this way? Right, right. Right. And yeah. Jared, ask why. This is why? what I loved why? about you when we met. You are asking the hard questions. Yeah. You're taking the hard look. You are pulling back the covers and you're saying, let's look at it. Where a lot of people are just shoving things under and trying to move on. I love that you are so transparent about what the issues are. And I know that you're doing some amazing things things um, to hit this equity work in your district. So what are some pivots that you're making? And the other question I have is, did COVID help expose some of these even further than what you saw before? Well, we know COVID has been particularly hard on students of color. Uh, we know that students of color enrollment in higher education and also their dropout rate at K-12 education has been higher than we would expect in more normal times. And so that only accelerates how necessary it is to look at how we are working with students of color and families of color. Let me give you an example of what we've done at Germana. We did a statistical analysis of which courses have a higher failure rate at a significant level for people of color than for uh, students aren't of color. And we published those courses and um, the failure rates, the success rates. 
for our 800 plus people constituency on a weekly or almost weekly uh, communication I sent out. So we said students in chemistry, for example, who are of color are not succeeding at a statistically significant rate. The second part of that question was, what are we gonna do about it? Now, we have wonderful faculty at Germana. Most higher ed institutions have wonderful faculty. But if those wonderful faculty are not teaching so that students of color can be successful, they want to step back and say, wow, wow, hmm, this isn't working. So by putting that out there, faculty can have a look at what's going on. The second part of that is they are held accountable for those rates that we are asking their supervisors and their support teams, right? Because it may be that students of color need more tutoring. They weren't prepared because their higher ed or their high school experience wasn't as good as maybe some other students. So we step up not just with holding faculty accountable, we hold ourselves accountable to our tutoring center, our computer center, our library. We go all in to support the success of that student. It's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's just a problem that needs to be addressed. I love the high expectations and high support. I think that is really the key to success, having all of those support systems in place to help people instead of blaming we need to support and empower, yes. Yeah, and using that data, right? Because data is only formative if you do something with it. So you're starting with the data, analyzing the data, and then that brings that buy-in that you're talking about that needs to be there. So, and having that accountability measure in place. So uh, they see the numbers. Yeah, they see the numbers and they make it happen. So I have a, a follow-up question with that, typically, uh, university people are stereotyped, that they're very set in their ways. So when you point out these discrepancies and these problems in the data, how, do you, how does your staff take that? Are they open to the change or have you had to really work hard to get that change to happen? Yeah, yeah. you know, people pay attention to what you may hear. Uh, if we never had to get on away ourselves, we wouldn't really pay attention to our weight, right? But, um, or at least I can see that personally. But anyway, uh, so the fact that we're measuring it and we're not blaming has really helped change the conversation. There's another piece to that and that we are spending tremendous amounts of money. And frankly, higher ed has some money now because of the Federal Cares Act and uh, HAP Act and also uh, the um, American Promise Act. We have some money. So we are spending it on professional development for our faculty, for our frontline people, for our administration, around those hard conversations of race and other things that interfere with the student's ability to be successful. So yes, it's accountability and support of the students, but it's also supporting those people who are teaching and serving our students because it's unfair for us to ask people who have been in our own skin and our own experience to all of a sudden get it around a racial equity. And so we right. have to plant those seeds. I'll, I'll give you and one. Again, you're being so supportive of people. Absolutely. I think that's what's making the difference for you is your support. 
let me give you an example a couple of a couple things that we're doing in terms of support. Um, we know that especially community and college students, but increasingly university students are low income and really don't have the basic necessities that they need. So we have a Germana CARES program and other colleges have this as well, but ours is pretty extreme. Uh, in fact, during COVID, if our students didn't have food or if our students didn't have diapers for their children or needed other supports to pay their electric bill and not, not have their power shut off, Germana Cares uh, actually delivered food to students' homes. And okay, how I just got goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I that just, is amazing. I have this great story I just have to share with you because we are creating and have created, I believe, a culture of caring. And you'll read a lot about that in literature now, but that culture of caring is really significant. Uh, Amarillo Community College does a fabulous job with that. And so we are just trying to be as good as they are. But let me uh, tell you this little story. So we have food pantries set up outside during COVID. We have them inside uh, in non-COVID times. We'll probably have an outdoor pickup uh, again this fall. But uh, we had uh, some folks come to our outdoor pickup last spring. And one of them said, you know, I'm not a Germana student. Can I have some food? And the person there, this is a, a frontline person said, but you may be someday. Oh, so you take the food. Fabulous. And I just got goosebumps every time I tell that story because <laughs> as in universities and community colleges need to understand that we exist to serve the taxpayer, right? We exist not necessarily to serve our disciplines or to serve um, our boards even, but to serve those people who pay the bills. And that really is our taxpayers. And for our taxpayers, we shouldn't differentiate that, oh, you're good enough, you're not good enough, because our taxpayers are expecting us to be open to all students. And that's really the culture of caring. Oh my goodness. What I love your stories. Yes. So Janet, what, what are the big, oh, tell us, you're opening school. Yep. Is it masked, unmasked? Sure. Are you having controversy? What's happening? Well, um, actually, I was a little late because I was just finishing a meeting with our classified staff to talk about some of those issues. Our governor in Virginia has declared masks for all state employees. And so we are all masks. And we require our VCCS, uh, our system office has required masks for everyone, including students. And so we all are wearing masks. And if you don't have a mask, no, no shame, no blame. We'll give you one. That's fine. We got plenty. Um, and so we are masks. We also uh, are now requiring vaccinations for our all employees, our contractors, even our work study students. And that's part of the governor's executive order. And the reason we're doing that is really to protect the operations of the college, right? You can't run a college if you keep going home every time there's an outbreak. So um, we are requiring vaccinations or weekly testing beginning about September 1st or so. And we are paying for the vaccination or, or they're free. We're sponsoring a clinic tomorrow and we are paying for the testing. Uh, so, and, and you get time off to do either. And that's just the right thing to do. 
it's not about power and control. It's about right. serving the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Now, will you be back in person or will you still have some hybrid? What's the future look like there? Well, we asked our students last spring, what do you want? What do you want? You want the on ground? Do you want the hybrid experience? How does it go? We also uh, asked our faculty and students in, in uh, a year ago in the fall semester of 2019. So how is it going? But um, 70% of our students, almost 80% want at least a mixture of online on ground and many of them want totally online. So our enrollment looks like it's gonna be up again this, this term and we've been up every term for the last four years, uh, year term over term. Uh, this summer was a little bumpy because we had a very high enrollment last summer. We were up 28%. This summer we were up over the summer before, but not up 28%. So anyway, uh, we are offering more online classes than on ground classes. And we uh, find that the customer, if you would allow me to use that word, uh, the customer is wanting that. And so our services are available both remotely and on ground as are our classes. And we also have disrupted the scheduling of our classes. Let me give you probably the biggest example. We have developed a program called College Everywhere. You can go to our website, www.germana.edu and um, learn more about it. But basically you can get a two-year degree in one year. And oh, we do that. Fabulous. We do that this way. So a student takes one course at a time, usually about five weeks, maybe longer if it's uh, math or science, a little longer, one course at a time starting in August. And by the next August, they are finished. But not only that, everything in all of those courses have been reviewed by Quality Matters, which is an outside external reviewer for quality in online education. All of these courses are online. So the course shell looks alike for all the courses. The students don't have to figure out, like, where does this faculty member put the syllabus? Where do I find the attendance policy on this, on this campus shell? All of the shells are alike. Now, within those shells, of course, faculty have academic freedom to put whatever they want to and need to to teach their course well. And most of the courses have open educational resources. By that, I mean the course materials are cheap or free. Uh, we also have embedded uh, all of the supports in the course. So if I need a tutor, I click on a link. If I need uh, help with food, I click on another link and all of the supports are in that course already. Probably one of the most significant pieces though, is we embed uh, an advisor in the course. So the advisor tracks where the student is in the course. If the student hasn't logged in in a day or two, that advisor calls that student says, hey, what's up? How can we help you? No shaming, no blaming. Just how can we help you? Do you need some help with uh, the course? Do you need some help with food? Do you, are you okay? Um, we just graduated our first class of that, those students, and I am so proud to say that those students were more successful on average than our regular students. And students, regardless of color and age, were more successful than our rank and file students. That's amazing. You know, when you talk about 
you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, you are right there. You know that no one is going to be successful unless they have their basic needs met. And you're really honing in on that by at all certain level, at all levels, right? So you're really addressing the social emotional needs of the students. And it sounds like as well, the faculty too, uh, addressing the, their needs as well. And it's very, very student centered here. And I think it's amazing how, uh, with all angles, especially having the advisors checking in, there's so many touch points. And I think that is all of that is so imperative for that success and those numbers now that you're seeing. And the other key to success that I'm hearing, if I'm hearing this correctly, is they're taking one class at a time. Instead of taking four or five classes, you're doing one, completing it, moving to the next, focusing on it. Is that correct? It is correct. And in fact, we started with about 25 students um, last fall. We have 800 students who are interested in our College Everywhere classes. Yes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is, you are remarkable. You're absolutely remarkable. Mm -hmm. work I, you're just, doing. I just go to work. <laughs> the remarkable people are the faculty and staff who really do this and the students who are dedicated enough to do it. With those numbers, what are you seeing in terms of ages? Oh, that's a are you seeing difference. All ages, all ages. In fact, I have this great story where uh, a friend of mine, uh, her daughter um, planned to get accepted into one of the uh, military academies and it just didn't work out. And so she was totally lost. And she came to me and she said, what can we do? And so she's 18, she's just out of high school. And I said, well, let's try this because she's a very bright student. And now she's strutting around her transfer university a year later going, hmm, I'm a junior, I'm a junior. And so we're seeing, we didn't expect this, Jamie, but we're seeing younger students, uh, middle-aged students. We see more men in this program than we do uh, in our regular courses. And frankly, men in higher ed have disappeared. That's a whole nother, you may want to do something on that at some point. Oh yeah, it's, I, that's an overstatement, but uh, many higher ed institutions are not serving the number of men that they did in the past. So we're very proud especially because we're looking at our military service members, our veterans, uh, as well as people who work full-time and all of these students for the most part work full-time. I wanna tell you a couple other things that make this work better. About a year or more ago, uh, our Vice President of Academic Affairs and Workforce Development said to our faculty, why do we have all these prereqs? the prerequisite courses or the prerequisite course before the prerequisite course. Um, and if you've had kids in college, right, how many of them had to wait or go longer because they had to take all these prereqs and the course they needed wasn't offered during that term. So under her leadership, we got rid of most prereqs. Stripping barriers, stripping barriers. Stripping barriers. Not only yeah. that, except if you needed it for accreditation or nursing, some of our occupations, uh, engineering is a little longer. All of our degree programs are 60 credits now. We're on a uh, semester system, every one of them, because we stripped out the prereqs. And by the way, we got rid of developmental education too. And so I, you could tell I'm, I'm just so excited about all the good work of our faculty. Um, and so we do co-requisite education where uh, a student more likely than not self places themselves in what they believe they need. And then we pair the 
college level course with a co-requisite course, which helps them in areas where they might need a little support. So that has really increased our graduation rate because students were languishing in developmental ed or because they couldn't get the courses that they needed. Yeah, you're still allowing for those, you know, what they need, those supports are still in place. What I'm hearing, and I think this is also attributing to the success and the rates that you have, um, the improvements is um, your, your school is welcoming, it's inviting. And I think, it, and that, I think it sounds like the community is seeing that and wants in, they want in all age levels. I, I hope that's how we're perceived. I believe that's how we're perceived. Um, I'll give you a couple other just stupid little examples, but they're not that stupid if you're trying to build a culture of caring. Everyone has a name tag, everyone. And, and not our students, but all staff, all faculty, part-time, full-time, you all get a name tag. And the reason for that is that you matter. Yes, it's nice to our students. It's nice. It's, it's a good thing to be hospitable with your name, but you matter enough to get a name tag. Not only that, if you want a business card, even if you're part-time, you want a business card, you get a business card. Because we, we also know they can get them out for recruiting too, right? So, but, but I think being disruptive also means you have to support through the disruption. I think, Jerry, you said it that way, and that's really true. Janet, I think it's remarkable that your college is in your enrollment is going up. I is that isn't the trend everywhere, is it? No, I think we're probably within the minority of higher ed institutions in the country whose enrollment is increasing. And this is how I look at it, and this is how we talk about it. Educational need never goes away, right? In a society such as ours the need for education is almost a constant. So what has to happen to tap into that need is to change so that you can. It's a pretty simple equation because if you don't change what you're doing now and you're losing enrollment, all the marketing in the world won't help you. Although marketing is important, I don't wanna suggest otherwise, but- right. But the business model isn't working. Right, right. Um, now, there are some schools in rural areas. I mean, that's a different story for them. And I, I have worked in rural areas, so I know that can be very hard. But generally, um, we have to change our business model if we're going to keep ourselves competitive and meeting that educational need. Janet, I think Germana needs to write a book or a playbook to help others follow your lead because you are really doing some innovative things. You are being very disruptive and very supportive. And I think that this is what we need to see in higher education. That's what we were hearing, Jamie, on Clubhouse. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there, there seems to be a crying out for the innovation and the uh, changes and modifications that you're doing. But really, I think the secret sauce is you're listening to what your students and your faculty need and want. And I think that's the bottom line. Um, I mean, there's a lot of work involved there, but um, I mean, I, I think that's what it is about listening and responding to that. 
in many colleges, there's a, a door for workforce-based education and a door for credit transfer education. And those doors are confusing for students to get through. And so what happens, particularly in community colleges, is students are put into a credit program that they really didn't want, but they didn't know enough not to know they didn't want it, when a, a short-term certificate would have done the job. And so students go into debt, they burn through their Pell Grant, and they come out and they still don't have what they wanted. And so what Germana did is merged all of those services. So regardless of whether you want to become a certified truck driver or you want to become a med student, you go in the same door at Germana and we help you with all the same supports. So we have scholarships for workforce training. We, have, we do Germana Cares for workforce students. We uh, give them the full treatment because we know that for them in that point in their lives, going to get a job is the most important thing. So let's get them a job and then we'll have them come back and finish an education in a different field that they wanted. Um, I will say too, that uh, none of this is possible without faculty and staff wanting it and truly loving their students. I don't know if I have this one. Uh, I have, we have Tervis cups that we gave everybody that has a heart on it that says Germanda's love. And even the men use those, I just have to say. You know, it's true. The empathy that is involved all around, it sounds like um, is I, the whole time I kept thinking, empathy seems to be the foundation here. Um, when you're talking, even what we're talking about, um, the faculty, you're talking about um, equity. It's you're just scheduling. It just sounds like empathy is at the heart of it. It makes a difference for sure. Well, not ironically, you drop prerequisites. So you think, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have sell the same number of credits or no developmental ed. I'm not going to sell credits. What happens is you end up retaining students through to where they want to go, certificate or degree, and you actually end up in the business model selling more credits. Right, 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 right. I have one other disruption I want to share, and it's kind of radical. Now, if your child or if you ever applied for a scholarship, you know that those can be very laborious applications. I have to do an essay yeah. and I had to, you know, work at the dog shelter and I had to do everything just uh, to get this money. And I need to package that information as well. Where our foundation is radical and we give, we, we do have scholarships um, that require that, but we also give uh, probably about a million dollars a year to students who simply don't have enough money to pay the rest of their bill. Because what, what happens is we are required as a state institution, as all state institutions, if you don't pay, we're required to drop you out of your classes. Why would we do that? You're in the seat. And some people will say, well, there are other people waiting for those courses. Nah, probably not. Probably not. And so what we do before uh, we go in and, and work with students or drop them for non-payment is we apply every amount of scholarship aid we can, every amount of public aid we can, federal aid, state aid. And we save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students each year. And they don't have to apply. 
many of them, this is the first scholarship they ever got in their life. And so they, they're so excited. And what's very interesting is because we come in and work with them about a FAFSA or working with them in other ways, they usually don't need the money more than one term. Oh, nice. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're, they're trying to establish need and um, that, that they're deserving of this, you can figure that out without the big, right? You, you can probably figure that out. They, they can let you know in other ways, right? Yeah. And so why- your bill, yeah. Yeah, again, stripping those barriers. Absolutely. I mean, it, that's fantastic. And it really is addressing equity because if I am worried about putting food on the table, I can't go volunteer at the, the shelter, the animal shelter. I, I need to work. And so you are, you're realizing that. And I love the way you're getting down to the root causes. That's our job. Yes, Janet, you are really making inroads in, and you're, you're not only being disruptive, you're being transformational. And we really appreciate your time today and being with us and sharing all of these great ideas. I hope many higher ed people have an opportunity to listen to this podcast because there is so many lessons to learn from the work that you're doing at Germana. Well, thank you both for giving me this opportunity. You can tell I'm just at, at heart a Germana lover and I can't stop. Yes, we could tell and we could listen to your stories all day. I love your stories. Um, I'll leave you with one. Perfect. So my husband and I were out for uh, lunch one time and um, uh, the server said, I said, so are you a student? And she said, I was, but I um, came out of foster care and lost my paperwork and I got dropped for not paying my bill at Germana. And, and I said, well, let's, let's see what we can do. And um, so got her a scholarship, paid off her bill. She graduated, graduated. And you know, it's, it's kind of like that starfish story, right? For that one starfish, her name is Terilyn. For Terilyn, we changed the world. Absolutely. What a beautiful story to conclude this podcast with. We thank you so much for sharing these stories. And I hope other people will be impacted by, as you said, Jamie, the empathy and the support that you're giving to your students. So Janet, where can they find you? Absolutely, www.germana, that's with two N's, so it's G-E-R-M-A-N-N-A.edu. They'll also find our Truth and Reconciliation Strategic Plan on Racial Equity there as well. And they most certainly can um, email me at jgullickson, J-G-U-L-L-I-C-K-S-O-N, at germana.edu. All right, we'll add all of that to our show notes. And um, if you are on Clubhouse, Janet, I'm sure there are people who will have lots of questions. So if you can join us, uh, it'll be Wednesday at 9 p.m. So we'll check that out awesome. if you're able to. Awesome. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.